interracial couple with two kids wanting to do something that highlights the power of friendship and what it means to be in the company of true friends. We're going to move our society away and out of the loneliness epidemic and into a friendlier, happier world. Welcome to Our Friendly World. Better, Stronger, Together. Hello, everyone. Hello. Guess who's here? We are continuing our series with technology, how technology is changing human beings with our beautiful friend, like now he is our family, Mustafa Purmeti. He's a social scientist with a PhD in marketing. He's a professor of marketing, a faculty member at the University of the Fraser Valley. He's a consultant for so many businesses on new product development, consumer behavior, and advanced technologies, which is really what we're getting into with our series with him. You can find him on his website, nex3.xyz. All his information is on our podcast at ourfriendlyworldpodcast.com. Once again, here is our wonderful, beautiful, my brother, Mustafa Purmeti. Hi, Mustafa. Thank you for being Hello, here. Guys. Hey. Hello, good morning. How are you, Matt? <laughs> doing well. How are you? We're fine now. We got into a fight right before the show started. <gasps> we never fight. Oh. What are you talking about? But love is winning. It won. <laughs> love, is, love has won. <laughs> We're okay. <laughs> Isn't that the spice of uh, living together? Um, yeah, well, this is what happens. We fight over the computer. We have technology fights because I don't understand something and he doesn't understand what I'm not understand. I don't know what happened, but it's always. <laughs> From okay. how I know Matt, I think you should trust him with technology. I do. I totally do. But <laughs> I cannot tell you how the explosions happen sometimes. I don't know, but like, I remember years ago in Santa Monica, we, I had a big job. I had a big photo shoot, like humongous. And it was the first time, it was a long time ago. It was the first time it was all digital and I had to figure it out and I had a huge deadline and the client was big. It was a big client and I had to do everything digitally and it was out of my, it, I was, I felt so uncomfortable. It was way out of my league. It was a huge change, a huge shift. And we got into a fight and I couldn't tell you what it was, but I do remember this. I called my friend who was in advertising and he worked on my book with me. He designed my book and amazing, talented person in advertising. He was a good friend of mine. All I said was, hi, Greg. And he's like, Vaughn, have you been crying? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> he goes, <laughs> he's like, let me guess. Did you get into a fight over the computer? Like, did you get into a computer fight with Matt? I'm like, yeah, I did. Can you help me? <laughs> so he had to explain to me what Matt was trying to explain to me in fawn speak. <laughs> but anyway, speaking of Santa Monica, one of the other lessons a nugget of wisdom from Santa Monica before we begin was about change and adapting to it and going with the flow towards the end. You guys, I always talk about how Santa Monica was my mentor, you know, like it's a person. She was a person to me and I learned the art of friendship and I learned what truly my focus was with my life was to really discuss the art of friendship 
And that involves so many topics and so many conversations because it's about life. And part of that life is a constant sea of change and the tide coming in and going out and getting adjusted to change. And you and I were talking, Matt, was it yesterday about, okay, it's stressful when you see change coming and when it comes, it's really stressful to adapt to the change. And then what gets us into trouble is when we think this change, okay, I've adapted to the change. Now I'll be good. I'll sit here with the change. But the thing about it is it's ever evolving. So you can't say, okay, I can be comfortable now that we're now into this new phase. This will be it forever. And it's not. It's always changing. Much like what I learned being a mom was you have a baby, you have no idea what to do. No idea. No one ever tells you. There's no way you can be prepared for a child coming into the world. Everybody's different. And they go through so many changes every single day. And once you feel like, oh, I got the hang of it. I understand. I understand the schedule with the feeding. I understand the sleep schedule. I'm understanding what this cry means. And then the next day, it's a whole different game. Like you have to readjust yourself once again because the, the baby has changed again. It's a new day. And once you become comfortable with the never-ending change, that's the key. Am I explaining it right? You are. You are. I, I think we've always seen change. It's just, it, it seems like it used to be slower. And it, it literally seems like change is coming from everywhere and everyone and the rate of change has sped up, up, up. And the change is mind-blowing change. Like we're, we have a campsite on Mars and, you know. We're flying helicopters on Mars. <laughs> so, so why am I talking about this? What Mostafa is here to teach us is, if you could imagine, we said this. So this is a series we're doing with Mostafa. He's going to, he's teaching us. He's a professor. He's a big deal professor, you guys. This is such an honor to have you here because you are teaching us what, thank you. You're, so you're teaching us what is next. Much like before the internet really came in, before the dot-com era came in. If we could put ourselves back in that situation before anyone really knew what the web was or what the internet truly was and the ability of us to change our businesses and our lives, our financial lives, our social lives. Had we known all that was possible, what, what decisions would you have made if you were privy, privy to this information? So this is what Mustafa is teaching us because we're about to cross the line into a whole new ball of wax, right? Am I saying that right? You, you are saying it right. Just keep in mind that, yes, we are about to cross into a new ball of wax on this particular subject as we're crossing over to all these other new balls of wax. So it's kind of, it's kind of a fun world. Well, this is like a huge revolutionary shift we're about to experience with technology. Am I, am I correct? I really like the way you put the intro uh, to the topic because we are uh, going to experience huge shifts. The good news is this is not the first time that human race, our uh, civilized society has been going through this. Uh, we've done this uh, a few times over in the history. 
but every time seems kind of new because we are going through a new phenomena. In many ways, what we are doing now is a lot like in the 90s and the advent of internet. In many ways, it is like the 1900s, uh, I mean, early 1900s when we had electricity, we had radio for the first time. I remember that when Nikola Tesla made that uh, little boat swim through water without having any wires attached to it, many people got really scared because they thought that there was a devil inside the boat moving it around. <laughs> they could not get their head around the idea of electromagnetic fields. And when I say I remember, I do not mean that I'm coming from, uh, no, that I'm a time traveler. <laughs> I love Nikola Tesla. I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed. I've been reading as much as I can about him the past four years. Um, I based all my yoga classes based on Nikola Tesla. Because he... He's a great guy. He I've really... uh, researched him intensively. I did go to Colorado Springs where he did his experiments with lightning and I wanted to have that experience for myself. It's like visiting the pyramids or the great Chinese wall. I agree. I agree. And he was big into meditation. I found this uh, meditation that he would do like step by step. And that's how he would come up with his designs and he did everything in his mind first, every step before he ever wrote it down. He only wrote it down once he once it was complete. Yeah. yeah, once it was complete. And so back to Santa Monica to just wrap up that nugget of wisdom. Santa Monica started to change. The 13-year bubble that I always talk about that I experienced as a mentor, it it started to get very thin and in a way, I was released into the real world. We moved away. The whole neighborhood, the whole community was rapidly changing. And that's hard. It's, it's really hard to experience that. It's in, in a way, it feels like a death, even though there's some great, beautiful day that is starting. But once we embrace all of that, it, it's, it never, nothing ever disappears. It's just an evolvement. And so with that, we're evolving from our first show to this show. Last time we talked about NFTs, of course, blockchain and what that was. And if, if you want to go visit that, please do, because Mustafa shared some wonderful nuggets for me, um, especially because I'm not a techie. Matt is the techie. Mustafa is the techie. I'm just me. But you guys really did a really great job explaining it to me. So those of you listening, if you need to go back, it's always with the same title. Just uh, the key phrase is blockchain. You can find the episode back on our website. Today, we're talking about art and NFT. And with that, I'm just going to hand it over to you guys. Most of all, too. <laughs> Mostafa. And if you don't mind, I will ask some can I say stupid questions? Because I just, you know, this is way out of my league. But There are no stupid questions. Okay. Uh, <laughs> questions are always good. I think once you have a question, that means that you are pursuing some new ideas, you know. 
And the question is, well, I don't want to get into that, you know, because we have limited time. But once you have a question, it means that you're curious about something. And that's your entry into the whole world of that phenomena. And it's like a door to a, another dimension. You just have to take it. You don't know what's behind it. But what is sure is that it takes you to the other dimension. I love that. Okay. Let's get that started. I'd like this to be more of a conversation. We can talk about what we already know about NFT, what questions you might have. And I will talk a little bit about the logic and tech behind it. So who wants to start? Okay. So let's, let's, let's go through the recap. Okay. So let's start with, I am a digital photographer. Right. And I, Hello. I take lots of pictures and I take <laughs> gifts and JPEGs and pings and all sorts of, and raws and all sorts of other wonderful things. Great. So this is my livelihood. Now, all of a sudden I'm like an Henri Cartier-Bresson. I'm my favorite photographer in history. Sorry. <laughs> and I am selling works to galleries and I am selling works to news services and I am selling my work to, you know, individuals. Great. So as it existed yesterday and we'll just talk about yesterday and tomorrow we won't talk about today but as it existed yesterday i would hand over a digital file with my image and you could then do anything basically you wanted with it you could okay, deface it you could back up. crop it you could yes you hand over you said okay because you taught me to be precise oh lord you said i'm going to hand over my digital image yes and my image Okay, just my digital image then. So no hard copy. I'm, I'm saying no for, for the sake of argument, no hard copy. So you just have the image, uh, so, on digital file. There okay. you go. So I, I, I send it off to you because you're my news service or you're my... Because this has... So it's not about a print. I'm not handing you my print, we're not my to, canvas. Right, because we can't, we can't talk... I don't believe we can talk about an NFT on a physical image. So we're talking, I think we're strictly in the realm of digital. We could potentially have NFT attached to a physical piece of art as well. Okay. Okay. And yeah, I could, I could, I could perhaps anyways, to, but to back up. So as soon as I send that image across the wire, mm -hmm. you can do anything you want with it. You can deface it. You can crop it. You can blow it up. You can change the file format. You can send copies to all your buddies. You can, you can change the saturation. You, you can, can you can do anything you want. Wow. So I completely lose control. You can also resell it. You know, mm -hmm. depending on the license term that I gave you when I when you acquire the image, you can do anything you want with it. And this is this has been my beef with the art industry is I I became very disheartened with the whole art industry galleries in particular because I came across some really shady folks in the United States in the gallery world. They said some stuff, like the truth came out. They didn't know who I was. I was sitting right next to them in a hotel lobby one day, and I heard them talking the truth. And not only that, but I started to realize on my own, why should I sell? Why should I strive to have my work in a gallery where they're a middleman? So I sell my piece of art, like a, not a digital image, but like I sell my print or my canvas to... Well, I, I give it to the gallery. The gallery sells it. And then over time, various different things happen. So the owner of whoever bought my art 
will now resell it and make a ton of money on it, hopefully. But I don't get any of that. So why should I be involved in the art world when I start with nothing, the gallery helps me, quote unquote, helps me, they sell it, this person sells it, they sell it to another person and another person, and they keep profiting. I'm the only one who does not profit. As, Af- as after the artist, initial sale, yes. As the artist. But that's like, just what's, it. What's the point of that? I want to say that as an artist, you, you hope to become a Picasso or a Monet who did make significant sums of money on initial sale of their artwork while they were still alive. And even they didn't. Monet really didn't. In the beginning, did no, he? Right? We're not talking about in the beginning. We're talking about once you're established. Usually when you're dead. Yeah, usually when you're dead. But like <laughs> Monet and Picasso, I think, are two notable exceptions to that rule. Okay. Anyways, so fast yeah. forward now to tomorrow. So I think, correct me, of course, doctor. I'm going to call him doctor now. Um, He's a doctor. I know. Correct me if I'm wrong. You guys, I'm, I'm one of those doctors that cannot heal you. I just had two problems. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. So anyways, fast forwarding to tomorrow. Now I am similarly, I am now creating this digital masterpiece. I can then put an NFT on it and let's kind of get around what exactly that means for just a moment. But I I put a non-fungible transaction token Mm -hmm. on it that has a contract on it, whatever that means, and I can then put that across the wire, and now all of a sudden, your rights to manipulate as the buyer of this artwork, your rights to manipulate, your rights to resell, your rights to, are all inside of this non-fungible token that's, that's attached to this artwork. And so all of a sudden, the contract could be phrased in such a way that you, you can't sell it or that if you sell it, I get 10%. And this can be actually enforced digitally, which is a little weird and spooky and almost uncomfortable. So this thing that I think I'm buying, I'm not, ownership is defined by the contract, whatever ownership means. Correct. Okay. And that's a fairly correct yeah. statement. Oh. And... The other thing about this non-fungible, is it token or transaction? Because I'm just going to say this over. It's a token. Okay. This non-fungible token, what I have going on inside of this artwork. Now, that artwork is, let's say it's, let's, let's just say naively, it's two megs in size. And of course it isn't, but let's say it is. So over time, it's going to gradually grow as this blockchain technology on this non-fungible token grows because that's how everybody's sure that I have the only legitimate copy of this. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So now that, now that you have bought it, what do you do with it? <laughs> that's a good question. Uh, so let's back up a little bit okay. and uh, set some ground rules. First is NFT is not, it does not equal the art itself. So what you can do with the art is not necessarily the same thing that you can do with an NFT. But NFT, in a way, is some you know is something extra that is attached to the art itself, and it facilitates some of the things we can do with the art or around the art. 
you mentioned a lot of good examples of what NFT enables people to do. Transacting, exchanging the art, selling and reselling it, licensing it for use digitally and non-digitally. And uh, there are other things as well. For example, an NFT is in a way, if I wanted to give you an analogy, okay, it is like this. I give you two analogies and hopefully this clears uh, a little bit about how NFT works without getting into the nitty gritty of the technology of it. Let's say you've got a picture of Elvis Presley and uh, you are in Las Vegas, you get to meet him somewhere you have that picture with you, you have it autographed by the artist itself. Right. The autographed version of that picture, which you probably purchased from some shop, and everyone can buy that picture for a dollar or a few cents. Mm -hmm. Now, the autograph on it makes it unique, makes it rare, makes it non-fungible, meaning that it is not exchangeable to another picture. It has some unique qualities to it. So what does the autograph do to that picture? Does it give you extra ownership rights? Probably not when we're talking about this particular image situation. But it does give it some sentimental value, some social value, and other people become interested in this particular image. Right. Right. So if a person is willing to pay a thousand dollars for this image, can you argue they are paying for the picture itself that they can buy in the shop for a dollar or are they paying for the autograph? And which one is more valuable here? Right. Right. That is a good way of thinking about NFT when it is attached to an art. However, because it is advanced technology, it goes beyond just an autograph. So it does that and it does other things. Here is another example. You go to some museum. You guys just talked about Monet and Picasso. Here in Montreal, right before the pandemic, I was fortunate enough to go visit the Montreal Museum of Fine Arts. There was a post-impressionist collection and the likes of Picasso's work, who is, I'm blanking out on the names of the artists, but it was basically my first brush with post-impressionist. Mm -hmm. Before this, I really didn't have an idea of what it represents socially. So the collection and the museum really helped me understand what gave rise to the post-impressionist movement and to understand the mechanics, the social mechanics of the time, why some artists decided to create a new studio that housed uh, up-and-coming artists that were not part of the mainstream and support them in making their art that was not probably something well accepted in the society of the time and later those people became the Picassos and the likes that we know and revere today. 
probably Monet is not entirely post-impressionist, I should say, because I read something about how Monet was more of an impressionist artist. But when I was browsing, you know, through the collection, the red guy on my left shoulder was like, mm, what would happen if I just snatched one of these pictures? Is this the real one or is this a copy? I didn't really have it. Right. What's that? Yeah, no, 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 absolutely. Um, the Getty Museum in Los Angeles. I swear I could, I got within six inches of a work because I, I was interested to see because they slapped so much paint down and fascinating to see what one stroke can look like and and yeah why the heck did they let me get that close to a monet for god's sake yeah because your someone spills something over those right works. and every well, once in a while somebody will tear one down and like do things to it but like even breathing on something it, the acid destroys the integrity that is right so uh, why the light would... has impact on the uh, yes paint absolutely uh, the light does yeah and it's it's not like yeah. i know enough to know whether or not this is ac this is the painting or not and what if someone yeah. has an accident like there are babies who spit up but listen i recently read a piece of news that a couple were fined heavily because they quote-unquote vandalized some million dollar piece of art because they were in an exhibition and they were under the impression it's one of those exhibitions where it's interactive. So the audience is invited to contribute. In fairness uh, to them, there were paint buckets and brushes oh, lying around. Oh my God. So they decided to add some strokes to this piece and they were caught red-handed, obviously made the news. So <laughs> things could happen. Right. But anyway, so who, so I was like, hmm. Is this the real, like, historic version of the art? Is this a real Picasso? You know, that was my question. Now, we know that in Louvre, for example, Mona Lisa that is on display is not the true historic Mona Lisa work. It's a copy. That's at least what I have heard. That's interesting, because I know recently they, like, put it behind glass and nobody can get within, like, six feet of it or something. But I mean... You, I I visited the Mona Lisa years ago, like decades ago, mm -hmm. and I couldn't even tell you what it looked like because there was so much between the art and the people, and there was such a massive amount of people, like you couldn't even get close to it. And it, I want to say it was in a glass container, like a, in a. Yeah, well, I know they put it in a glass container. I don't. But like, that was years ago. Right. Well, maybe it's been a lot longer than I remember. But I anyways, okay. yes, let's get back to NFTs, though. Come on. Okay. We could talk about art all day. But <laughs> So what I'm trying to get at is between maintenance of the art and the financial risks, it just makes sense that every now and then the art, the actual art is not on display. However, people go to Louvre every day. And they have experience of Mona Lisa, well, at least uh, what Fawn experienced, which is very true of visiting Louvre, <laughs> is that you've always seen the Mona Lisa in a frame where it's just a picture. But when you go into the museum, there's uh, thousands of people around it. They're all snatching pictures. So who really owns Mona Lisa? And what is that ownership doing? What does that mean to the rest of the world? This example is also good for the NFTs because I would say 
if you use the analogy and say, okay, NFT is analogous to ownership, the application of the art does not necessarily tie to the ownership of it. Some person or some organization owns Mona Lisa, but everyone experiences Mona Lisa in one way or another. And they don't pay the true owner of Mona Lisa. When you snatch a Mona Lisa picture off of internet and use it in your uh, PowerPoint, do you really pay the true owner of Mona Lisa? You don't, right? When you buy a t-shirt with Mona Lisa on it, does part of the revenue go to whoever owns the actual art? It doesn't. So NFT in many ways is like that. It's not a one key that opens all doors for ownership problems, provenance problems, but it does facilitate many things. So we can get into that. I give you a few examples of how NFTs are attached to art. And then if you guys have any questions about, okay, oh, how did this work technologically or mm -hmm. uh, business-wise, we can discuss that as well. Recently, there was this work of art by Banksy. Uh, I know Matt is uh, a fan of Banksy. Uh, he, he's he's such an enigma and and such a character that you can't help it. <laughs> I love his work. I truly like how he's uh, kept his identity, quote unquote, secret. Right. And um, his uh, the social message that goes into his art is really interesting. Right. Totally. So he's a revered artist. His works go for I don't know, like big bucks. There is this work that he had and it's worth uh, $90,000. The owner decided to digitize the work, attach an NFT to it, burn the actual work, the physical work. Wow. Now the NFT is worth $400,000. Is that because he burned the original? Maybe. Yes. Now there is, a, <laughs> there is even a higher demand for the digitized version. It's just keep in mind, the price of art is dictated by what somebody will pay for it. It has nothing whatsoever to do with any other consideration. It's the same way with a house. A house is worth the amount somebody's willing to pay for it, etc. And that's literally for everything that exists. So is it worth 400000 because he destroyed the original work? Or is it worth $400,000 because he said he destroyed the original work? Who knows? <laughs> he did that in front of camera. Yeah. Did he, we <laughs> yeah. can we can keep we can dissect Never that statement forever but let's not <laughs> <laughs> i like that so that's one way of thinking about how nfts work there is this youtuber american youtuber logan paul young man they got famous making vine videos and uh, then uh, youtube videos it got into heat because of one of the videos that he had a few years back but recently, uh, I mean, I, I saw in two instances him uh, brushing with the art industry. Once he went to uh, this person in Las Vegas who had some rare Pokemon cards and he bought one of them off of him uh, for 20K on spot and videotaped everything from uh, A to Z. It was really interesting. Mm -hmm. Recently... He had an artist make some cards, like baseball cards, with Logan's picture on it. He put that on NFT and sold those NFTs to people. He opened it up for a limited time. Here was the catch. He made, uh, I don't know how many of those, 
But within that short window of time, if people bid for it and bought it, they would own those digital art NFTs. If they didn't, whatever and if whatever digital art was left over would be destroyed. Mm-hmm. So that gives the rare quality to the art. Right. He made fifty million dollars off of this venture. They used to do that with photography. They would like the photographer would say, Okay, I'm going to print two hundred and fifty of this negative and then they would destroy the negative after that. Very nice. Same thing is happening here. So let's say you are a photographer and you decide to put your art on NFT, which means you create an instance of digital contract at, that is attached to your work of art. So now people can purchase that and own that NFT. However, they do not own the art. You can still do whatever you want to do with the art. I have a quick question that you can answer later, but I don't want to forget. How do I put my art on an NFT? Do I need to go to a coder like Matt and have him come up with a code? How do you? There are some websites that you can go. There are platforms that specialize in this. For some fee, you can put uh, your art on, you create an NFT for your art, right? There are steps to it, which is different from website to another. Yeah, you can definitely do that with a little bit of an investment. So what NFT does is really bringing a new flair to the old game of art. Art is all about authenticity, provenance, the rarity of some piece of art, the reputation of the artist. So what really makes uh, a Rothko so valuable? Rothko was a painter who was also revered when he was alive. He was a person with a lot of uh, personal demons. But anyway, when he was alive, his works of art were very popular. And after he died, they became even more popular. And if you Google him right now, you can see that what he used to draw were squares of paint that's it you know the whole canvas would be just a square of um, blue and a square of yellow but sometimes they go for millions of dollars so that's partly comes from the place of the artist in the social network of the art industry sometimes the work by itself has some genius qualities like the works of picasso and the cubist approach that he had in portraying objects and people well that makes them you know visually appealing thought-provoking but can you really detach it from the position that picasso had in the you know among the art lovers at the same time that picasso was uh, living there was another equally genius artist modigliani and this guy had a much different uh, life experience than Picasso. His works are uh, viewed differently than the works of Picasso's. So we've always had this old game of art. As Matt said, the price of an artwork is only how much people are willing to pay for it. There's usually a primary market and a secondary market. Primary market would be when the artist sells their art to the first buyer. It is a different dynamics. 
But then that piece of art, when it is resold, when it is exchanged from hand to hand, it enters secondary market. And prices in secondary market could be 10 times, 100 times more than the price in the primary market. There's a really good book about all this that is called The Value of Art, Money, Power, Beauty. It's written by one of the best art dealers of our time, Mr. Michael Finley. And he explains everything about what makes art valuable, how it is priced, and what factors really make an art valuable in the eyes of the customers. Now, NFT, it just makes all those things more efficient. So let's look at provenance. If you wanted to authenticate Picasso's work, you would have to go to some um, art dealer or a, a certified evaluator, and they would basically produce a certificate of authenticity for your work. And there are so many stories of fraudulent certificates of authenticity, and that has always been there. Right. Yeah, no, I always say there's a huge incentive as soon as money is on the line to cheat the system. Exactly. So what blockchain can do, remembering what we know about blockchain, which is an intemperable ledger, nobody can temper it once something is put on a blockchain. If an artist today creates NFTs of their art on the blockchain, nobody can fake an art, nobody can take away the ownership. So provenance becomes really like clockwork. And that is a good thing. And also, I remember that Matt earlier in the session talked about how an NFT comes with a programmable contract. So the artist can actually put in clauses about how the ownership is going to be exchanged. An artist can give themselves a portion of all the revenues, future revenues on that art. So whenever the art is exchanged, so for example, buyer B sells it to buyer C, part of that money goes to the artist. Or the artist can actually allow people to make uh, digital copies for free if they want to use it for personal use, they want to put it on their you know, desktop background. But as soon as they want to use it for, say, uh, a blog post or uh, some sort of commercial application, they would have to pay. And the cool thing is that the humans don't have to interact for that transfer of the rights. Whenever someone makes money on that art piece, the contract automatically triggers is triggered and the funds will go to the artist's account yes how long how long has nft been around because so i'm a contributing photographer to the getty as a stock photographer as a contributing artist and they have the best lawyers in the world so if my image ends up being used by somebody over in some other part of the planet they know but they've been doing this for a long time. Have they been using something like NFTs, do you think? Like someone like the Getty? Getty well, images? NFTs are new phenomenon. But things like NFT, I mean, we have tried to solve this problem uh, a few times until now. 
So NFT is a term for tokens on Ethereum. So they are as they're more recent. Probably the first NFT came in 2017. But before that, we had something like NFTs on Bitcoin, which is a slightly different network. So the one on Bitcoin, it was called, I actually made a note of that, some sort of a non-fungible coins, colored coins, they were called. And that was the attempt to make something like NFTs, unique tokens. Matt, do you know anything about earlier attempts like, at this? Like, how did the Getty track my images? Like, so if someone that wasn't paying for it was using it, how did they know? Well, first of all, there are famous stories. There's a famous story about somebody who was traveling with their family in Germany, and they were in a grocery store, and they saw their own picture on the advertising, and they had no idea it was happening right. because this German grocery store just stole the image off of the interwebs. But I want to say that a Getty or whatever, I mean, the standard way used to be you put a big, ugly watermark across it so you could still see the image, but you couldn't really use it. It said property of Getty, all rights reserved, not allowed for commercial use. And then if you wanted and then you saw the image, you're like, oh, yeah, I want to use that. Then you give the Getty the dump truck full of money, you get the image and you go ahead and use it freely. But they could have you they could have given that to someone else and they exactly. could have used it yes. and so on. Yes, you're absolutely right. But I always wondered how their lawyers kept track of all of that. They don't. So it was a lie? But they they pretend to keep problem. track and uh, they, they keep track this, of the primary market. Yes, before this it was more of a an endeavor by the lawyers. Today we have platforms uh, that can actually detect pieces of art, works of art. And then they actually ask the content creator to provide evidence that they have the rights to use that piece of art. So try this, make a YouTube video, uh, record yourself. And then at, at some point in the video, play some Billboard 100 song. Once you upload this on, it, on the YouTube, YouTube will come to you and say, you're using some art that you do not have cop its copyright or you don't have rights to use it in your work. So it gives you a few options. Either you can trim that piece of the video, you can mute it, you can replace it with some non-copyrighted music if you want to keep the visual of the video, or you can tell YouTube that you actually have the rights you can share with them the license you have. They review it. Again, they have a bunch of lawyers. Lawyers. <laughs> and um, reminds me of the liar, liar thing. They've got these people. They've got the staff who review these case by case. And they make the decision. But the detection takes place automatically because it's woven into their system. So with NFT, I think we are going to have more and more of uh, content platforms, likes of Twitter, Twitch, Facebook, uh, Instagram, and they have algorithms woven into their system that can say, mm, this is a registered, or, or not a registered, but this is a piece of art. This is a photography that we've detected. Here is the artist. Do you have rights to use hair photography and they probably offer uh, some sort of way for that person 
to get into that programmable contract with you and whatever terms you put in there, how much you'd like to be compensated for different types of work, the content creator decides to apply for it, pay you out and use the work. So does or that mean content will taken that will be taken down? So does that mean like when I do a photo shoot somewhere or if someone is filming a movie and usually you see artwork on the walls in the background in the room where you're filming and if you don't have rights to that artwork, it's if you notice, it's usually blurred out. So what you're saying is if there's an NFT attached to that film or picture or, you know, video, whatever, that a contract could be had so that they don't have to blur it out because it automatically will get a hold of the artist and say, hey, this is going to be shown here for this amount of time or whatever the terms are. Exactly. And this will all look like uh, a well-oiled machine. So all these pieces have to come together. The platform that can detect the artworks and NFTs system that tells you about the ownership, the provenance, and a means for exchange of value, which is, again, something that the NFT does. So you can quickly and directly pay the artist through NFT. I have a question. So every single image that I take, do I need to sign up for an NFT? And does that, I mean, and what, I mean, I can say, okay, this is my photography here, but let's say people on Instagram, they shoot certain things. Like it, at some point will it be less expensive. I don't know how much it would cost to get an NFT per image, but at some point will it be less expensive? Are we just going to have an NFT for everything? Well, I think so. Okay. I think your question was not finished. Well, I have a second part to that. A second question. Let me answer this part. Don't forget the rest of your question. So creating an NFT or the way kids are calling it these days, minting an NFT is a little bit costly. And depending on what platform you're using, it could go anywhere around between $100 to $1,000. So you'd want to make that investment only if you think it's worth it. But I, as you mentioned, I believe that it is going, the cost is going to be decreasing in the coming years. My other question, and I may be jumping ahead. If I am, just let me know. But maybe it's another topic for another day. But how does music come into this and musicians and making money from their art? All these different facets of art and our diff different definitions of art. How does that work with NFTs? Can a musician who's just starting out, or even if they're not, like let's say you're a Taylor Swift or something, how do, how does that change music? Maybe that's another topic for another day. It feels like a much bigger topic. And the one question I have, because I'm feeling like a miscreant today, digital image with an NFT. Can I make copies for all my friends? Absolutely. And they can they can enjoy it almost as they can enjoy it aesthetically as much as I do. Like it's exactly. a, they, we can make a perfect copy. Now they can't sell it. Only I can sell it, but they've all got their own copies hanging out in their houses. They've printed out giant posters of it. They've done whatever they want to do. And, and there yes. is at this point in time, no control over any of that. No control over that. Okay. So good. It's like taking I mean, a picture good, of Mona Lisa. Okay. 
Yes, but in this case, it's a perfect copy of the Mona Lisa that I have now given you. That's yes, that's the problem. That's dig- that's always been the issue with digital, and that's why like Napster and everything. That's why the music industry went crazy over that because you could make a perfect copy. It wasn't like recording off the radio. Exactly. Yes, and we are living in a post Napster world. That friend. is definitely true. We're living in a post many things world. <laughs> So yeah, you're right. What came with Napster and MP3 was that the copy was as good as the original. With digital art, the copy you have that ripped off the internet or copied from someone's hard drive, it's exactly as good as the, uh, the original one. Okay. And we have to live with that. NFT comes to answer some of those problems. So for example, the problem is that uh, a digital artist needs to make a living. NFT allows the digital artist to at least make a living off of selling the NFT, tracking the ownership of his work, especially for commercialized applications. But when you look at how people are using art, paintings, photographs, music for personal use for free, it's it looks like the art world has accepted that. And in many ways, it is in line with the philosophical definition of art, right? That, you know, it, it has to be, it's like a meme. It It's only valuable as much as it is replicated mm-hmm. for the art, for the music to be heard, right? Right. Um, Within reason, of course. There's a, there's, a, there's a Wu-Tang Clan album out there somewhere on vinyl, and there's only one in all of existence, and one guy has it, <laughs> and he won't, li- he won't let anybody else listen to it. It's still, that, that's, that's still valuable. Help me out with this. I'm trying to remember this song that blew up a few years back, maybe two, three decades ago. Oh, dear. Someone's Diner, a lady sang it, Oh, yes, yes, yes. Suzanne Vega's. Oh, God. Um, exactly. I am sitting at the... Oh, my God. What is the name of it? That's terrible. I don't know. Luca? No, it's not Luca. Luca's a whole other okay. song. I think it's Tom's Diner, actually. Tom's Diner. And yeah, and I actually have the, the album that has everybody remaking it. Susan Vega. That's great. Somebody did an Just I Dream of Genie version of it. So I heard this tune when I was a kid. Didn't know who she was, certainly, but it really, you know, sat into my memory. And I and I would hum it all the time, never knowing who sang it the first time. Certainly right. didn't know the story behind it until very recently. Mm-hmm. The way it works is that she made this song out of a, a real-life experience she had. Right. The Sam's Diner is where she used to have breakfast. And it was not a popular song until... Some other group, like, yes. made a of it. Yes, they made a dance version of it, yes. How much did she earn out of that? Not much. Just the name, you know? So with an NFT, if she makes the art, attaches an NFT, and let's say at the moment of creation of the art, she's not really thinking about, oh, this is going to blow up. I'm not going to, maybe she's not really thinking about making money. Right. But when that happens and suddenly, you know, people are paying attention to it and it becomes a universal phenomenon, 
how can we trace it back to the artist and make sure that she's compensated? That's what NFT does. It facilitates it. It, it makes all the footsteps traceable. Right. Uh oh, yes. we have a question. Okay, please keep your track of um, thought in mind. I don't want to screw you up. But as you're talking about this, I'm thinking, how do you know that you're buying an actual real NFT? And how do you know you're using a real NFT for your art? Like if I go to some website to mint my image, as they say, you say, <laughs> um, how do I know that I'm getting the real deal? When you're minting an NFT, that's, that's the easy part. Once you mint an NFT, it is on blockchain. You can verify it. You have an address unique to your work of art. And when you put it on, uh, say, an Ethereum tracker website, it brings that up, right? So it is instantly verifiable. And no one, no one can make a copy of that or just snatch it off you. It will be forever yours. But what I'm saying is someone like me who's like, okay, I want to protect my work. I'm going to go and find a website. And I quickly clickety-clack the computer and I think I find a site. What if they give me a bunch of mumbo-jumbo code? Okay. Do I have to... That. Okay. Don't just click on anything. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> First, review top 10 websites where you can mint NFT. Find what is really reliable and then use one of those services. You will have, you still have choices, which one you want to work with. It's like going to what kind of, what kind of business can I use as an analogy here? I want to say some reputable business. You want to choose that. Say if you want to buy a car, you don't go to a, a dealership that's out of town and it's kind of uh, fishy looking. You want to go to a dealership that is reputable. It's reliable. They've been in business for a long time. That's how I do it. But once you do that at a reputable website, you own that NFT, right? That's the easy part. Let me circle back and talk a little bit about music and what NFT can do for the music. So people can still listen to music for free. People can still listen to music through their streaming platforms. They don't have to really pay extra for the NFT. But if the artist publishes their new album on an NFT, what happens is that their hardcore fans can buy the NFT and uh, what they get in return is really cool. First of all, they can contribute to their favorite artist. So it's like if I were a young person at the time, Pink Floyd was in their peak and they wanted to come up with a new album and I knew that I can pay 10 bucks and have a part in their new album, something I can tell my grandchildren about, I would do that. It, it has a sentimental value for me. So that contribution, that's the feeling that I was involved in this creation of work of art at least by contributing money to it. Having my name somehow engraved somewhere in the NFT is my right to fame in a way. Again, I can look it up and show my friends, show my date. Look, I actually 
helped uh, Taylor Swift, you may mention her name, create her new album. So this is like back in the day when you had in art someone sponsoring you like back like centuries ago. Like a patron. Thank you. That's the word I was looking for. So you become a patron. Many ways. Of yes. the arts. A patron in of the ways, arts. Yes. And and kind of the, the yesterday step towards this is there's been a couple of artists. Devin Townsend is one because that's my, my sphere. They did a Kickstarter. And if you donated money, then you actually got a USB drive with the new album on it. And nice. you got a special USB drive. So this is a way of giving you a special USB drive, but it's all digital. So with NFT, uh, we take that uh, to a new level. There are perks that can be attached. You know, just because you own the NFT of an album or a song, you will be entitled to some perks that could be physical. Like if you buy the NFT, you can get a T-shirt, you can get an autographed picture, but they could be non-physical. They could be from the nature of access. Like you get VIP access to an outing of the band, uh, a concert, an event, a gathering. In many ways, artists can create two layers for their fans. For their hardcore casual versus fans. hardcore fans. The NFT guys, they get extra access. And the rest of the people... They just get the music. Right. And in the same way that artists will have a fan club that you donate money to, and then you get access to special forums on their websites, and you get to pre-purchase, you get to purchase tickets two days before regular people do, and, 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 and. So you see, before I take your question, Fawn, I see your hand raising, raised, but <laughs> in many ways we are answering the same old questions that we used to answer them in a slightly different way. Now we've found more appealing, more efficient solutions for them. Go ahead. Okay, so another form of art that may not be considered traditional art. What if I'm a recipe developer? What if I'm a chef? Can you like have NFTs on that kind of thing? Absolutely, and that's a cute idea. But keep in mind, of course, I mean, the recipe is going to be freely copyable. Yes. That's... That's the weirdness to it. So your case in point, there's a God, there's a restaurant in Santa Cruz called the Saturn Cafe, and they used to make the best tomato soup, and I would give lots of money for the recipe. Can't get it. If they offered that with an NFT on it, I would buy it. Can oh, you, my God. Can you have an NFT on an idea? Define an idea. Okay, so I started a vegan bakery a few years ago, and the concept is totally original. And every time I tell someone about it, because right now I've had to put it on hold to concentrate on, on our social movements with the podcast and everything. And until we come into some money, I can't restart up this bakery again. But the concept of it is very original. And I was called the wish baker. And so I have these vegan recipes. Yeah, sure. That's fine. But it's not just about the recipes. It's about what I put in the cake what I put in, you know, the intentions that go into it, right? It's, it's a, an idea. I believe you can uh, mint certain parts of your idea on NFT. And if you distill your idea in some sort of, not necessarily tangible, but presentable way, it could be a little video clip, it could be a document, it could be a business plan, you know, how would someone 
build this business based on this idea, then yes, you can mint it just the same way that you can mint a recipe. A recipe is just an idea, isn't it? It's just an idea. Yeah, you can do that. So it is one of the cool things that every person on this planet can be rewarded for any future revenue on any idea they have. And that's the key, future revenue. Not, I own this thing, but I, I, I can still be entitled to future revenue. Mm-hmm. Next question. How does this, or does it, how does it change, or does it change patents? If you have a patent on a product. I think, I think everything patentable will that? have it an was a NFT good attached to it. Oh, so what yes. But you still have to go get a patent the way you normally would? Listen, why do you get a patent? Protection. Legal yeah. protection. So no one copies you. Sorry? So no one copies you and makes money from Except it. Except that you have to publish exactly what you're doing and how you're doing it. So if I'm unscrupulous hanging out in a country that doesn't recognize the U.S. Patent Authority, I can mm. go ahead and freely copy what you've done. So does this nullify patents? Like we don't need patents anymore? I'd say it takes it to the next level. With patents, what Matt says is right. You go to a third party and they pledge to protect your idea within their jurisdiction. So, for example, for patents, you have to patent your idea or your product in as many countries as you'd like to seek markets in. Otherwise, they can easily copy that. Now, remember that the whole idea of a patent is hinged upon a patent office. Now, with the NFTs, that patent office is on algorithm residing on all computers on the world. So if you put your idea on an NFT, everyone everywhere in the world will be able to verify that. And whatever terms you've put in that programmable contract will be applied to that. Well, as much as NFTs and uh, blockchain is respected in their country. There are countries where, that, who do not recognize any legal rights to whatever comes from blockchain. Not just yet, right? But yeah, I mean, NFT is basically like patent 2.0. Anyway, it's a new version of what we used to do with the patent office. Basically, it's what you do when someone comes knocking at your door and says, prove that you can say, do, own, have, reproduce this thing. And it's a way to say, here's my proof, leave me alone, or crap, I got to give somebody some money. Right. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes. And it really depends on what platform you are putting your content. So for example, if I put my uh, content on YouTube, I have to abide by their rules and YouTube enforces copyright. That's why I get those messages, warnings about the music I've used, or sometimes the artwork that you just mentioned that's on the wall. I have to uh, take it down or blur it or somehow make sure that I address the artist. Now, in many ways, Today, when YouTube says, hey, you got this music or you got this piece of art in your content and you got to do something about it, I do not have a reasonable way to approach the artist 
and without spending an arm and a leg, get the rights to use it in my little video. That's not going to really make it any money. But I think with NFT, artists are going to make their art more accessible. They're going to rethink how much they charge different content creators for using their art. And it's going to facilitate uh, replication of their art, which eventually will be uh, of benefit to them. Wow. So if you have it more accessible, then you can actually make, even if you're charging, like, I don't know, please don't hold me to this number, but like five cents per video for someone who doesn't have any following, but they're using their music or you're using your music in your store. You own a store, you have a business, but you're playing their music while the store is open. Like there, there are different prices you can pay for different things. So when I was a commercial photographer when I was photographing, if I sold the rights to use my image or they had the choice of buying the image outright, owning the image, and if they were going to just lease my image, are they using it for commercial purposes or is it for personal? Is it for business or is it personal? And the prices would change, then the contract would change. But I can see if you're a musician and if you let everyone use it, but maybe only pay like a little fraction, they can make a lot of money. And the cool thing is that with the programmable contract, you can bring in variables. So the contract can decide based on how much the content, the destination content is making money, what percentage of it should be calculated and relate to the original artist. So you can say, well, at, at 1% of whatever you make or 1% of a 1% of whatever you make. And all this calculation and accounting will be done automatically on the algorithm. You don't have to pay accountants. You don't have to pay lawyers. Everything is transparently calculated on the algorithm. And the artist, the original artist, just gets the check, you know, quote unquote, the check. Does this so, happen throughout time? Like there's no time limit. So if there's if, no time limit for wow. as long as the destination video is making money, you're going to make money. Oh my it's God. like the residual checks that their uh, DVD version of their movies. <gasps> wow. So this, this could even be used for actors in movies. Yes, absolutely. So even actors can use this. That's amazing. This is a huge game changer. This is, I mean. For the artists. Yeah. I mean, for me. Put the artists in the centerpiece of this art industry, which was, to be honest, I'm not judging it or, you know, putting any positive or negative evaluation, but mechanically speaking the world of art was dominated by art galleries and dealers and the business intermediaries those people piss me off mustafa <laughs> that's so the glad. artist in you talking i know <laughs> we mean well we business people mean well most of us <laughs> well no, I, are... I love you but i feel like you're so rare <laughs> Well, to be honest, there are some disappointing business people who take advantage of their position, their role in the value chain. 
And every artist has to understand how to protect themselves against that. And at the same time, believe that it's, it, those people do not represent the whole industry. And solutions like NFT make that even more procedurally trustable for the artist to know how their art is treated through time. And once you get into this contract that, you know, perpetuates, you have that peace of mind as an artist and you just uh, move on to your next creative work. I feel, I feel empowered. Thank you so much. We're not done. Indeed. We are not done. So we're going to have a part three. We're, we're doing a series <laughs> with you, Mustafa. In the words, in the words of the great Terminator, I'll be back. Yes. Are we allowed to say that on the air? Are we allowed to use that phrase? And that's a great question, right? Is that NFT? Copywriting <laughs> phrases is a whole other other subject, yeah, right? Definitely mint an NFT for that. Oh my God, we should, you, Mustafa, you should write a book. Or everyone can visit our episodes because you're teaching us everything step by step. And they can also visit his website. Yes, dot. XYZ. All right, guys, tune in for episode three with Mustafa Promedi. We're not done. We're going to learn more and more. Mustafa, thank you so much. This is my pleasure, guys. This is dynamite. This is good. It's dynamite for me. Is it dynamite for you? Because you're already a techie. This is have fun with you guys. It's uh, it's it's about the it's about the application. It's about the real you know getting getting nitty gritty with how might this look? How might this feel? How does this change things? So I feel like I can finally get a leg up, leg up on something because of you guys. Thank you so much for letting me be privy to this information. You know, like back in the day, I didn't know you yet, Matt. I had not even a computer, you know, and look at this. Look at us. Bon, we're looking forward to having uh, your photographs minted in NFT. Yes. Made available to the fans of this podcast. Oh, yes. To, to purchase and support the podcast. And I think that would be a good thing. Maybe you start with a few, a handful, selected a handful of your pictures and uh, mint them on NFT and put them on the website. Well, I wanted to, so you encouraged me to self-publish my book, my photography book. Would I mint every single image or would I just mint the book? Well, that's up to you. If you want my opinion, yes, I, would I do. Say do them picture by picture. Got it. Okay. Well, thank you. We will be back very shortly on the next episode with our technology series with our great professor here, Mustafa Pormedi. And again, to get a hold of Mustafa because he does consultations, but he'll also have this tech boot camp. You send people those things you put over your eyes. The VR headsets, virtual reality headsets. So you guys go to nex3.xyz to find out more about what Mustafa can do for you, for your future. It's really amazing. Do you want to say anything else about it before we take off for today? Well, actually, I'm really uh, grateful for the opportunity to talk to you guys. As always, it's a great chat. I get really, I get that heat in me, uh, you know, to talk to you guys. So I want to uh, take a moment and appreciate that. And hopefully we can continue these series and, you know, 
tell people a little bit about uh, what the future has for them. Fabulous. Again, if you want more information, go to nex3.xyz or you can go to our website, which is ourfriendlyworldpodcast.com and Mostafa's information, everything is right there. All clickable. If you want to reach him, one click away. There you go. Um, again, ourfriendlyworldpodcast.com. Thank you, everybody. Thanks so much. Make sure you tune in for our next show, number three of blockchain technology, how technology is changing our lives. And democratizing our lives. Democrat, yes. We didn't even use that word this time. Power to the people. Can, maybe we can do this with the title, how technology is changing our friendly world. <laughs> yes. Nice. For sure. Thank you so Making much. It I feel friendlier. Too. Yes. <laughs> Anyways, yes. <laughs> All right, everybody, we'll talk to you. Oh my God, thank you so much, guys. All right, we'll see you in a few days, everybody. Bye bye. Take care. Bye bye.